Jones, Australia's leading voice. Well, g'day, that brings back some memories for, for both of us, I hope. Uh, my name is Jason Morrison. If we've never met before, g'day. If, if you're kind of slightly familiar, um, I used to be Alan's backup guy on radio for many years on 2GB. In fact, I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, last time I filled in for Alan Jones, I had no children and there were only two official genders. <laughs> now we've got countless genders and I have three children. So welcome to the program. Uh, it's been a long time, but it's going to be a bit of fun. Alan's away for a couple of weeks and I'll keep you company in the absence, but he is returning, so don't fret. So I don't know about you, but it all feels like a bit of an anti-climax after the weekend. The result is what we wanted, it's what we expected, but it's our culture in Australia to accept the umpire's decision. But can't you already feel the left plotting at full steam to sort of undo it, to undermine it. They just do not learn from their mistakes. And the Prime Minister is no exception. Now, just minutes after claiming that he'd heard the message from 61% of Australians, he was undermining what that message was all about. Which makes me think that we better start bracing ourselves for what I'll call some political revenge. Albanese and the Yes campaign's defeat happened for plenty of reasons. But you can already hear it. He thinks it just came down to two. Failure to get bipartisan support, to get Peter Dutton and Jacinta Price to agree with him, that's actually his fault. There was no time frame to make that referendum happen the way that it did. He chose to do it that way. But the number one reason, and I'll sum it up for you in one simple word, he says it's misinformation that you are all victims of being poorly informed. I think during this campaign, uh, we have had a very clear proposition of just two things, recognition and a non-binding advisory committee. But we've had, uh, including in outlets represented in this room, uh, discussions about a whole range of things that were nothing to do with what was on the ballot paper tonight. The No campaign ran a dirty campaign of lies. There were many things that your campaign said that weren't true. Do you regret taking that approach? Uh, I reject your, uh, uh, what you just said. And clearly uh, one of the areas that we were dealing with throughout this, and it's been mentioned um, tonight but also uh, throughout uh, the, the year, is the uh, misinformation and disinformation campaign on social media. That was a large part of the No campaign or disinformation and misinformation was something that was picked up. We saw a campaign led by Peter Dutton's Liberals that Donald Trump would be proud of. The minute the opposition decided to make it political, to name the proposal from the Uluru Dialogues as being Albo's voice, was the moment at which this became a political attack. We have seen a disgusting uh, no campaign, a campaign that has been dishonest, that has lied to the Australian people, and I'm sure that will come out in the analysis. Uh, I'm sure that history will reflect poorly on Peter Dutton, uh, Pauline Hanson, uh, all of those that have opposed this. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know what's next, but, um, 
but it's just devastating. See, I think he does know what's next. What they're saying is, we won't get mad, we'll get even. And they've dispatched the useful idiots in the media to reinforce the message. The narrative is quite simple. Australians are not bright enough, they say, to figure out that yes was right and no was wrong. Take this, last night on the project. It kind of ends up being the elite argument. The more elite sector of society you are in, the more likely you were to vote yes. The biggest dividing line seems to be education. So if you are in a seat that had high levels of tertiary education, a bachelor or postgrad, then you were, you were at the very top end of the yes vote. And if you had the lowest levels of tertiary education, you were at the, the low end of the yes vote. And that's not to say people who are educated know what they're doing and people who don't have tertiary education don't. It's about the style of the, the message, I think. Oh, wow. What a snob. And, and for a moment, feel sorry for the lady next to him, Sarah Harris, who actually grew up in a battler area and would quite understand the emotions of people when they hear that remark. And she has to sit there and kind of support her buddy on the set. Disgraceful. It's the old, too complicated for the less educated. You know, I think the problem here is that they have in their heads convinced themselves that, you know, all those dumb Westies, they just fell for it and they fall for all the things. They're insulting your intelligence. And the trouble is, this is what people in government think. When they look at the map, they see all the no votes were in the out of suburbs and all the yes votes, they were in the the richer, more affluent coastal areas. Now, why does this matter? And why should you care about this? Well, remember, this is a government that wants to police what it thinks is fact. And you've heard repeated over and over again in all of this, information, misinformation, disinformation. They're frightening things to hear from a government that wants to control what you think. They want the power to shut down, to cancel, to block, whatever they think is misinformation. And this is their magic opportunity, the justification to hit the go button on their misinformation bill. Most people have kind of forgotten this thing exists. It's there sitting in Parliament's in-tray, just waiting for a little bit of inspiration, waiting for the moment. A law that would see huge fines handed out if the government thinks what's being published or being said is not what they think, is their kind of facts. See, I think this is the political payback for daring to challenge their point of view. Now, this misinformation bill, it's extraordinary. I want to show you just some words here. This is what one legal analyst said recently. Something becomes misinformation, even if you hold that view in good faith and believe it to be true. And then? To be misinformation, all that's required is that the statement could mislead some and potentially cause harm. Now, what in the hell is harm? Harm is everything these days. You hear it used all the time. It could be as simple as just upsetting someone or making them feel like they're bullied into changing their mind or perhaps confronting their central values. And who decides what's information, what's misinformation? Well, of course, the government, Albanese and all the gang. And by the way, they are allowed to misinform 
because under the terms of their proposed law, <laughs> they're exempt. The government can misinform as much as it likes because what the government says is right. Now, the Liberals have to fight harder on this. They have a hell of a battle for us all on this front and the independents as well. The Liberals say, under the terms of this, government officials have the power to require anyone to appear before them to answer questions about allegations of misinformation. Or if I may put this into perspective, try to imagine the voice debate under the shadow of all of this. There's Albanese and the gang deciding what's fact, what's permissible. And then someone publishes against what their view could be or runs a television campaign against what it is or has a discussion on a show like this. Do you reckon the comments of Senator Price or Warren Mundine or even Alan Jones might slightly upset them? Yeah, you betcha. They'd shut you down. People from government would order that those remarks vanish. And worse still, put the individuals, potentially, before some kind of a truth tribunal, and if you don't attend, fine you $8,000 a day until you turn up. And by the way, in case you think I'm making this up, this is in their proposal. This is Australia, remember, a country where apparently we still have the ability to express ourselves freely. Now, almost everyone on the political left up until now has been saying that misinformation bill over the top. The journalists' union hates it. Even the Human Rights Commission is opposed to it. But of course, that was before they lost the argument and lost the yes vote. And now angry Albo and the lefties will want revenge. You mark my words, the vanity voice has delivered them humiliation. They want something bad. And as we say, the radicals never miss an opportunity to reinforce their agenda. This is their moment. And if you thought getting the no vote up on the weekend was a win against the people trying to screw the country, well, I'm sorry to say that was only round one. Look, I just want to say something I'll say slightly in support of Anthony Albanese for just a moment. There's been a fair bit of stir online and on radio today about some comments the Prime Minister made yesterday in Parliament when his words seemed to imply that he thought the only people who voted no were white people. Have a listen to it in the full context. Is the Prime Minister committed to Makarata truth-telling and treaty? Give a call to the Prime Minister. Thanks very much, uh, Mr Speaker. Um, what I'm committed to post the referendum is respecting what Indigenous people have said. And what they have said is that they are undertaking uh, a week which is uh, reasonable uh, for them to, uh, to deal with uh, what for, for many people, regardless of what white people voted in this referendum. Hang on. Did you just hear that then? Now, plenty of people are saying they heard him say something about the way white people voted in this referendum. Now, I've got to tell you, I mean, we've listened to it 10 times. That's certainly what the captioning people picked up with in the video feed. Have a look at this. Or then, or then to, uh, to deal with uh, what for, for many people, regardless of what white people voted. Yeah, look, I don't know. I, I, as I said, I've checked the Hansard and we've got the Hansard here. Um, and politicians can change the Hansard, so that's important. 
he says, regardless of the way people voted in this election, there's nothing in there about white people. I think his problem here is that this might have just been a straight out misspeak. And I'm not going to win many friends, I think, suggesting that I think it was a genuine accident. But I don't think he meant to say it. It would be a ridiculous thing for the Prime Minister of Australia to utter, let alone to think. But Albo's problem is that some people are actually starting to think that's what he meant. And he has lost so many Australians through the process we've just been through. He has incredible ground to make up. And in all of that, he has to restore respectability with a whole lot of people who once maybe thought he was their man. And for many Australians, he's lost the benefit of the doubt. And I've got to say, in politics, that is terminal. This is a story that makes you wonder sometimes if what you read, what you hear in the media is really true at all and what the motivations are for some of the stories that pop up. The story of Heston Russell is an extraordinary insight into the failings of the biggest media company in the Southern Hemisphere, the ABC. Heston Russell, a fifth generation soldier who followed into his father's footsteps and served for over 20 years in the armed forces. He's a former officer of the Special Air Service, the SAS, and completed over 100 combat missions in his 16-year military career. Well, yesterday, Heston finally was victorious in a three-year defamation battle he should not have had to have against our national broadcast, the ABC. The courts don't often find the way they should, but they did yesterday, and well done to Federal Court Justice Michael Lee, who found that the young veteran was indeed defamed very maliciously by journalists who wrongly claimed he had murdered an Afghan prisoner, or in other words, a war criminal. I spoke to Heston earlier. Well, Heston, after all you've been through, you still look remarkably good. I don't know how you do it, mate. That has been a hell of a battle. Yeah, it's a bit of a feeling of relief today, Jason. I think a lot of it is sinking in. Um, it's been sort of three years and there's a lot of affirmation and support from the public in particular. So I'm just gonna probably crash next week like I do. Can you believe that it got to this, that, that an Australian soldier had to take on the Australian taxpayer funded broadcaster in the Australian federal court to get a bit of justice and to have a fair hearing? That's the part that's really sinking in. Um, you know, I've had the values of freedom of speech and freedom of press thrown at me so much over the last three years. And I really feel a, a deep um, animosity and resentment towards Australia a little bit, to be honest, mate, because they're the sort of things that me and my guys went away to fight for. And it really has taken three years worth of editorial complaints, letters to the managing director of the ABC and the chairman, Ida Butros, um, editorial complaints, a petition we gave to parliament. And in the, the day, it had to be a civil defamation case um, because the ABC was allowed to call us war criminals without any charges even being brought against us. And then we had to be, I had to be able to personally afford to take them to court to get that justice, it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a lot to swallow. Let me just bring that up, that's an interesting point. You keep using the word us because it wasn't just about you. Yeah, I'm the person who uh, it gets the headlines and is the one with their name on the court case, but it's my entire platoon. I deployed um, July 2012 with 44 members of November platoon and sadly only 43 of us came back and behind the scenes, away from the cameras because they have families and children 
and lives that can be ruined by the attacks of the ABC. There's been my platoon and my guys um, supporting me um, throughout this entire uh, saga, this entire ordeal. Where do you think this culture has come from where it's kind of now considered appropriate? Not to question, I don't think anyone minds people being questioned, but to target and to go after, and in your case, to fame. Someone who has given, you know, I mean, one step down from the ultimate sacrifice for his country. Yeah, well, a couple of things there, Jason. I think that um, there's really been this pursuit for awards and accolades and fame mm. that's come from um, some of the journalists and particularly from Mark Willisey at the ABC and every subsequent attempt for feedback and to test and prove uh, their allegations wrong has been met with this resistance that comes from a place of selfishness and a place of ego and that has been exposed so much and even commented on specifically by Justice Lee uh, in his ruling. Yeah, that's a really important thing. I happen to know Mark Willisey and my personal views I'll keep to myself for the moment out of this, but I, I would imagine they wouldn't be too dissimilar than many of your supporters because the game, and it is a game, has been all about accolade within the profession as opposed to absolutely fundamentally truth and public interest. Yeah, absolutely. And Jason, this is the f three years ago, uh, I think I even spoke with you and met with you about the, the whole fact that mm. we welcome uh, investigations. We welcome our chance to have due process and the presumption of innocence and to have any of our actions tested in a criminal court of law or a military tribunal. But we, we haven't been afforded that. And journalists, particularly in this case, Mark Willisey and his mates at the ABC, have been allowed to level the most serious allegations you can level at a military professional and only have the recourse of defamation in civil proceedings to hold them to it. Yeah, and you talk about the mates at the ABC. Um, yeah, editorial mates, mates in the newsrooms, but it's the management, the people who are given the job of making sure the joint works the way it should in line with its charter, and its chairman, Ida Butros, and its chief executive, or whatever he chooses to have his title at the moment, all these people that are meant to be there to be, I guess, making sure that the organisation works the way it should. Because if people like Willisey screw up and, and people like his superiors get it wrong, there should be some kind of a safety net. Because there sure is at this organisation and there is at every other one I've worked at, but for some reason at the ABC there seems not to be. Why do you think? Well, spot on, Jason. And look, now every Australian, anyone in the world can go online and have a look at the documents that were submitted as a part of our evidence, the discoverable documents, and all the emails and complaints and correspondence I made. I CC'd or BCC'd David Anderson and Ida Buttrose and the entire ABC board. These people are involved in this entire process. Emails have come out from Joanne Puccini, who is the editor of Mark Willisey, saying how she wanted to push out a media release to freak me out and mess with my own mental health. This is the attitude from this organisation and all these individuals have their fingerprints on mm. this one case that has to become the line in the sand where we, the Australian taxpayers and those in Parliament who represent us, hold the ABC and their superiors accountable. It, it almost feels a bit like it's gangster behaviour. It really is. It's, I mean, Justice Lee said it yesterday, circle the wagons mentality. That's exactly mm. what we, we've encountered. Yeah, yeah. I, I know when we started talking, and I, I'm not going to pretend to have been a, a huge part of your battle here. I'm a very small part of it. Alan Jones is a big part of it. Ben Fordham, 2GB, and there's one or two other people in the newspapers that got in behind you along the way. 
but they went out of their way to so profoundly discredit you to the point now where you'd, you'd kind of was always wink and nudge, oh, there's a bit more to the Heston story than you know. And, and they played on, I mean, they played on your sexuality, they played on your background, they played on your private activities, they played on all of this stuff. And this was before it got to court. This is when it was just being, you know, a, a news article. There's so much behind the scene, Jason. There's a criminal investigation I lodged with the federal police when one of these journalists, you know, found naked pictures of me and published them online through to the private emails and the other actions these journalists have been up to. And it's going to take some time for me to process that. I'm literally speaking from a place of trauma, anger and resentment, and I'm trying to focus on the win here and now. But you're right, there's a lot of water that still needs to go under this bridge to just expose what our taxpayer dollars have been paying for. Mm, yeah, well, you're going to get a few of them back, but nowhere near enough. Um, Heston, you talk about the trauma. Now, I think of what you did for a job and what you did over there for Australia. And I look at you today and it, it kind of breaks my heart a bit because you've learnt to put on a brave face. You've learnt to, to kind of carry it off like there's not a problem. It must have ripped your heart out and your parents and your family and your mates and whatever else. It must have. Yeah, it's pretty easy for the emotions to come up now. It's over, Jason, but you're right. I have been what my guys and what my country has needed me to be. I have put on a brave face. I've walked into court. I've smiled. I've done all the things. And behind the scenes, uh, I have been suicidal. I've had my mother and my friends and my, my sister pick up the pieces. July this year, I crashed mentally, which I've never done. I have been pushed to the absolute limits of my of my. You've been shot at, rocketed I, at. I've, I've picked up the pieces of my soldier who the ABC published this on the date of his anniversary and I've never been pushed to the limits that this has taken at a time where I think my resilience has been at the lowest because I've been at home, safe, with my friends and family, but I've encountered the greatest enemy I've ever had to fight against and it's been our ABC. So what do you think is their motivation? I mean, I know what my motivation for having you here today is and, you know, a little bit is to give you the opportunity to, 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 to fight for your reputation, but at the same time, it's, it's utter gratefulness. I'm grateful that there are people like you that are prepared to go and do that job. What was their motivation? The motivation that I believe that has come out is just as Mark Willisie said to the Office of the Special Investigator, he wanted to publish a story before the Burton Report came out about the commandos because previously we hadn't been reported on, it had been all about SAS, mm. to quote his words, to put it out there to see what would come back. And that is the biggest anger and resentment I have, Jason, that someone will so happily, just flippantly and arrogantly make the most outrageous accusations that tears apart my entire military identity and that of my soldiers for the benefit of their own journalistic accolades, awards and progression. And the fact that that has been allowed and accepted and required federal court action to expose. Yeah. You had many dealings with him at all? When, when look, the first year of this... This is Willis here we're talking yeah. about, the ABC journalist, sorry. The, the first year since uh, he published his article, I went about contacting the ABC directly and I even went to his book launch in West End in Brisbane and I confronted him face to face with others to make sure that he couldn't say that I did anything and I just asked him why he published this and I talked him through how impossible his accusations were because again, I'd come straight out of the military. I didn't know the whole complaints process. I take my issues directly to people. And instead that is when attack after attack um, started to come from the ABC. And that's when I learned the editorial complaints process, the petitions process, and finally the federal court process. 
Well, it's farcical, and having been someone who's been at the pointy end of an ABC complaint, I can tell you it is a joke. It, it's, it's not as it is on any other organisation, on any other TV station or any other newspaper. It gets buried, tucked away in the back of a website, if you're lucky. You got $390,000 from the court awarded. You will get some, not all, some of your costs back when that's ultimately determined by the court, and they'll fight like old buggery to stop you getting any more cent than, the, than they have to pay you. And then I look at the damage to you as an individual. You've come home to Australia, you're a handsome-looking bloke, you're, you're a great talker, people can hear that tonight. You've got so much to offer in terms of experience and capabilities. Does the phone ring anymore? Does anyone call up wanting you to work for them? No, nah, Jason. <laughs> After this, I'm going to go overseas and disappear for a bit. I have, Jeez. I yeah. have, mate. Uh, my grandfather fought on the Hook and Korea in Vietnam, and five generations of my family fought for this country, going back to World War One. And that's the part where I need to go and heal. Um, I just feel rejected by the institutions and organisations. I feel, <laughs> I even feel a bit of um, shame and regret for the fact that this is going to cost the taxpayer nearly $3 million when my first letter to the ABC on behalf of my platoon was just asking for them to take their articles down and apologise. Mm. And there's a lot for me to still process of how hard and how much, how hard I've had to fight and how much this has to take out. And just like Justice Lee said yesterday, I'm not, I'm not a wilting violet. You know, I've stood up and fought because that is what I'm good at doing, but I'm so tired of fighting. Yeah. And I think that I've earned a break and now hopefully we'll get one. Mate, I don't know what to say. I mean, it, it kind of breaks my heart to hear you say that the solution for you is to leave the country. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, people like you, there was once a generation when we used to clap you down the streets and, um, and I know you're a different battle entirely to what happened with Ben Robert Smith and others, yeah. but, you know, it's just that it happened, and it happened with such vehemency and, and uh, or, or almost celebration that yeah. makes me a bit sick. Um, before you go, I want to I question, if you had the chance now, if I were Mark Willisey, what would you say? Oh. <laughs> to be honest, Jason, I'm just not really ready for that question. You know, it's kind of like, confronting your abuser. I don't know how he looks himself in the mirror in the morning. I don't know how he goes out in public. I don't know how he is so happy to espouse the freedoms that he's entitled to without even being able to show responsible reporting in the public interest. I think um, history uh, and the rest of the world uh, and the rest of Australia will judge him harsher than I ever can. Yeah, I bet, I hope. Um, before you head off and hopefully <laughs> Enjoy your life and hopefully not have to do more interviews like this. I, I want to know, are you going to keep at it with your veteran support group? Are you going to keep doing that? Because I think that that's how you came to prominence with me. You were someone yeah. who was prepared after all you had done and all you had been through to come back and want to help others who'd been through the same. That's the massive part of this, Jason. August 2020, I suffered my first suicidal ideation, which led me to realise we needed a Royal Commission. And then two months later, the ABC launched their first article. And when we won the Royal Commission, I set up Veteran Support Force, vsf.org.au, and just the other week we launched the Veteran Games, which saw younger veterans, the highest risk of suicide and mental ill health, my generation of veterans, come together and compete, and uh, the testimonials and the impact it's had on these people, we're going to do that every single year but, cool. year, but in between that time, I'm going to go back to the US, where this whole time I've been supported by 
the US members that I serve with who have watched on with absolute disgust and spend some time just sort of decompressing, I guess. Yeah, well, there it is on the screen, vsf.org.au. That's the one. Good luck, mate, good luck. And thank you, genuinely thank you on behalf of so many people for what you did. And we're really sorry for what you had to go through, but we are grateful that for all that's wrong with this country and the ABC and everything else, that uh, when it comes to the crunch, the courts got it right. And I think the public always kind of had a sense that that's where it would go. Good luck, my friend, and uh, happy, happy times, I hope, from here. Thank you, Jason. Thanks so much. All the best. That's Heston Russell, a genuinely great Australian, soured by some fairly mediocre Australians. Are you looking for the best books to buy, but can't be bothered searching for them in increasingly woke bookshops? Visit the ADH website, click on the store, and check out the latest and some collectible old books by such authors as Brendan O'Neill, Ian Plymer, Jared Henderson, Ian Hancock, and myself, David Flint. These are some of the sharpest writers applying common sense to the great debates of our time, from the gender wars, the attack on religion, and the new racism of the Aboriginal lobby. All the information you need to get through these crazy times at store.adh.tv. G'day, Damien Curry here. Are you having trouble keeping up with the news and the flood of information coming at us all? Want to understand what's going on clearly and simply without any hidden agenda? Well, great news. The Other Side Australia is back every Friday, now right here on ADH TV. It's your weekly short circuit summary of the best news commentary from Australia and abroad. And join me for the Other Side interviews on Tuesday nights and on demand right here on ADH TV. Welcome back, Jason Morrison here on the Alan Jones program. Alan's got a couple of weeks away. Look, I know he keeps you across the situation in the Middle East and things took a significant shift today. It would take us forever to go through every move that has happened in the last 24 hours. But the big ones, what I think certainly, is that Israel officially declared that it had been bombing targets linked to the terrorist sympathisers in their neighbourhood, Hezbollah. Now, for some perspective, you've got Lebanon at the top, Gaza at the bottom, crudely. Hezbollah is in southern Lebanon. And since the attack by Hamas 10 days ago, Hezbollah has also been firing at Israel in some kind of sick support. Yet another front in this fight that Israel does not need. And Hezbollah has been telling the world that it's backing Hamas and it doesn't care who knows about it. And don't forget, both Hamas and Hezbollah have the backing of Iran. Now that makes this propaganda clip that Iran put out on social media, so the world has seen it today, somewhat frightening and at the same time, somewhat defining of the moment. It's 
frightening looking stuff. Iran's foreign minister warned of a preemptive action in the coming hours, a huge earthquake, they said, if Israel continues to attack Gaza. So this is propaganda with the music and everything like that, but the headline is frightening. The victory of God is near, they say. This is from the official government source. You've got to hope it's just a threat because surely Iran is not stupid enough to want an all-out war in the Middle East. Surely. But they're hardly preaching peace with this video. It is chilling. And today, Hamas released its first video of Israeli hostages being held in Gaza. A 21-year-old French Israeli young woman looking frightened. Israel has confirmed at least 199 hostages have been taken into Gaza, while Hamas is claiming they have about 250 captives. Look, whatever the number is, it is abhorrent. And to think that back here we have idiots in the Australian parliament wanting to support and pledge backing for Hamas. The Greens and some of the dopey teal types want to undertone their support along the lines of kind of, they think the Jews sort of had it coming. These people are sick. And these are the same people who just a week ago were saying out loud that they feared for Australia's reputation if the voice failed. Well, the world couldn't give a rat's about the voice, but they do care about the ugly anti-Semitic scenes on the Opera House steps last week that you were encouraging with your politics and the madness of all your support in our parliament. Get your priorities straight and pick the right side. With the referendum contest out of the way, there are dozens of major issues that need immediate attention. And we need to get back on track. And government needs to worry about the things that actually do matter to people at the heart and soul of everyday existence. Now, I don't need government to fix all of these things because I think we all acknowledge that there are good times and there are tough times, and these are the tough times we're in. But we need them out of the way. We need government to stop making our lives tougher. I don't know about you, but everywhere I go, people are talking about how broke they are. A bloke yesterday told me he's looking for a second job. But everywhere you turn, there is government finding a new way to charge us more for things that it does for us. Think about it. The power bill story, well told. A government-inflicted price rise. I mean, this is very telling. This graph is the price of coal. Now, that's the last year. Coal overwhelmingly produces most of our electricity, and it has been dropping in price since this time in 2023. And you can have a look at it. Look at the peak there. That's about 400. Where it is now, $162. It's now less than half the price of the peak. But not that you'd know it. Your bills are easily up to 25%. And they'll keep going up. And what's the justification of it? Simply because, well, you know, they can do it. Power is the big one. But then there's water bills. I don't know if you've had yours in lately. Mine came in and you can compare this year to last year. It's up 30% on last year. Not my usage for once. Usage is about the same. 30% higher in price. Council rates, another level of government, up substantially. Car registration in just about all states, up substantially. Good God, if you live in Sydney, tolls keep rising. These things are all government driven. And any wonder the local fruit shop has to put up prices, they've got no choice. It's got to come from somewhere. Now, the problem I have here is Labor always pretends it's in the fight for the battler. Well, guys, where have you been? And while we're talking about price rises, again, government inflicted, petrol prices are up. 
Okay, they can't do much about that, but they can do something about the tax they draw. About 50 cents of every litre of petrol is federal taxation. Of course, they don't call it tax. They call it excise. Whatever they call it, it's bull. Tax is tax. And they've just increased it again. And not to mention the bonus they get too with putting up the price of excise because you get a GST increase as well. I guess what I'm saying here is we don't expect you to fix everything, but just get a little out of our lives, just a little bit, and give people a chance because they are screaming for that right now. This government's looking for its way back into people's hearts and minds. We'll try the wallet. So the resounding defeat of The Voice at the ballot box on Saturday, you know, look, it was always going to happen, but it's a good reminder that democracy isn't as dead as we thought. The Voice was a dud, and the Australian people started to think it was a dud government and rightly rejected it. The vast majority of Australian people saw this for what it was, and the Prime Minister's personal vanity project just screamed from it. Well, Barnaby Joyce is a former leader of the National Party, born and bred in the bush. There's no one who really speaks better for the attitudes of regular Australians than this fella, and he joins us now from Canberra. My God, my friend. <laughs> How are you? I'm um, well, thanks, Jason, and thanks for having me on the show again. I, I was just looking at the numbers here. ACT, 60%. Now, you've just left the New England to go there where it was 75% no, and you're in the ACT where it's 60% yes. There's parallel universe, isn't it? Yeah, there is. Like, this was not a, so much a, a difference between Indigenous, Aboriginal Australia, as they call themselves, my area, Aboriginal Australia and others. It was, it, it was a referendum that really showed the divide between... Um, ACT and Teal seats, because that's basically what it was, and the rest of Australia. Uh, the Prime Minister splendidly understands the seat of Grainler, but he doesn't understand the seat of Australia, and that's where he became tragically unstuck. It, it was a hubristic, divisive debacle, uh, absolutely from beginning to end, Jason. And when you just go through the chronology of it, I'll, I'll just remind you, your viewers, you probably forgot about this or tried to forget about it. Remember it started with Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> like an African-American basketball player yes. who's known for advertising betting. Seven, mean, seven foot tall standing next to Linda Burney who's just broken five foot. It looks so ridiculous. And, and you just think, what image are they working on there? Well, what happened to Paddy Mills? I mean, if you're, going to, right. if you're going to start with basketball players, how about you start with one of our own? So it started very badly. It started very, very badly. And then they went into... Um, getting the, the banks and the supermarkets when there's a cost of living crisis to be screaming at us to support the voice. I, I don't know. I don't think they thought too deeply about that. And having banks and supermarkets as your advocates when people have no money is not a good look. So, you know, it, it, it faded a little in the middle, didn't it? And at the, end, at the end, we had rather two questions where if you'd had one on Aboriginal recognition, Indigenous recognition, it would have sailed through, and another on The Voice would have got smashed, as it did. No, they had to be cunning. They had to put them both together. So they both got smashed. And so the, it was a total train wreck. So the, so as Blackadder would have said, it started badly, it faded a little in the middle, and the less said about the end, the better. <laughs> yes, that's the best way of putting it. I saw a quote, and I want to read it here. This is from you the other day. Australians have spoken, when a government can't improve your life through fixing a power bill, how can they trust you to improve your life through changing the constitution? And look, that's so true, isn't it? That's the point. People kind of know these people's abilities. Well, it, you know, this. People out there, Jason, are really hurting 
Uh, they can't afford their power bill. They know that there's this sort of crazy mythology that sits behind the Labor Party that we're going to do this through wind factories and solar factories and completely litter our landscape with transmission lines, and even though no other country on earth has managed to do it that way. <laughs> the power bill's going through the roof, the reliability is going through the floor, and these are overseas companies. Some money's going overseas. And so um, they're sitting back thinking, your attention is on a constitutional change, which is, to be quite frank, you're not, you can't even table the legislation, so you actually don't know what it's about yourself. Yeah. And, and my life, my life is that I feel poor. I feel poor. And so I'm angry. And if you do silly things when I'm angry, I'm going to knock you out of the park. And they <laughs> Everyone's saying it. And this is what I don't get. You know, I know if, if they're not in touch with their communities, they're in touch with their polling. And surely the polling is screaming at them. This is such a third order issue. Get on with the real issue. You know, I mean, today the Reserve Bank is sort of making threatening tones about ruining Melbourne Cup Day. And, and then I've just finished talking about how just about every arm of government, be it state, uh, local or, or federal, is finding a way to lift our costs of living unnecessarily, just push them up. And of course, when they do it, as you know, it just gets passed down the line to the next guy, the next guy, the next guy, and us poor buggers pay. Well, this is what's this is what's happened in in this instance, and we've got, um, uh, you know, it's it's just a distracted government. You know, I, through the middle of that referendum, at one stage I went down to Nelson Bay. I don't know. I reckon between three and four thousand people screaming about wind factories going off their coast, and I was thinking, where where's the local Labor members? Sure, this is in their their electorate, not mine. Surely they'll turn up, but no, they're worried about the voice. The voice, you know, <laughs> voice. You know, it, 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 it's, it is, it is. There's a reality check coming, Jason. Now I wouldn't say for one second, oh well, you know, the prime minister will, will, will is the reason for the loss of the next election, and this will be the second one-term government in Australia's history. No, no, I don't say that. I don't say that. He's lost a lot of paint, but I tell you what, if he botches a few more things. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to be famous. Well, that, that was that was going to be my next question. I mean, I I have a feeling that his credibility is so gone with the public that people think the worst of him. And I'll give you a good example. You might have caught yesterday there was a video clip going around. It's all over social. It's been all over talkback radio and television, whatever, of him in Parliament yesterday misspeaking, saying words to the effect that, you know, that the way white people voted in the election, when he meant to say the way people voted in the election. Now, I don't think for a second he meant white people. But it doesn't matter because people have got no time for him anymore and they straight away jump to the conclusion about the worst possible outcome. He's done his dash with people. And the Australian people are really good. When you think about it, even Gough Whitlam got a second term, Julia Gillard. <laughs> one They're so, the Australian people are so kind and resilient. They'll, they'll say, listen, mate, we're going to give you a fair run on the park and see how you go. Mm. But this... Mr Albanese, I saw it all the time. This was one of the big comments I got when I was handing out. I was handing out over four or five days. They said, so you, you're spending $400 million on this referendum. You are paying $400 million of my money up against the wall on this. When everybody knows this is going to be a total train wreck, and they were right, and it was. Yeah. And they just sit back and say, mate, you're just disconnected. You know, I'm saying, well, it's Mr Albanese doing this, not me. I said, well, and people, uh, people aren't stupid. They walked out and over and over and over again. I got, you're spending $400 million on this rubbish? 
The phrase that used to always make me smile was the further you get away from Canberra, the more things make sense. And I used to say it on radio all the time and then people in Canberra would call up with a fair dose of the you-know-whats to say, it's not true, we're normal, it's just the people who come here for Parliament, some of them aren't. But, you know, I say that, yet in almost a neighbouring electorate to yours, there's a fella in the seat of Kalea. He was a National Party MP. He was elected by National Party members. His name is Andrew G. Now, Andrew G resigned from the National Party. I assume he's still an independent. And he didn't want to be part of it because he didn't want to be associated with the horrible no camp. And then I looked at the results from his seat. You might know it off the top of your head. No, 72% of people voted no in his seat. He resigned from the National Party because as a member of parliament, a representative in parliament, he didn't want to be associated with representing the hideous no camp. 72% of his population, of his voters, voted against it. They're no people. And he, he should have picked it up, Jason. We used to get a, you know, yeah, Andrew Andrew has really put his own pot on, hasn't he? I mean, I, I think he's well he's, he's in more in more trouble trouble than Flash Gordon. The um what he should have done is had a look at his own Facebook post. Like as a politician, you always glance at your Facebook post. I think if you if you're doing well, if you're doing really well, you might get multiple thousands of likes. I had one, I got a half a million views. Um if it's so so, maybe 500, 400. If it doesn't get above 100, you really think, obviously, there's no interest in what I'm talking about. He was putting these pro-voice um, posts up and they were getting too light. <laughs> right. There should be a button on Facebook where you can throw something at the screen. That's what yeah. I think he would have been getting. It, it well, just, you, just it, you should have realised, sort of said, this is coming unstuck. I might find <laughs> reverse on the column shift on this one. So, I mean, you just got to show up with a candidate and you replace him in the parliament, although no, he'll probably want to rejoin you. No, I, I think he's, uh, unfortunately, I think bit he's done. done his a bit done. And there's a lot of, lot of very good candidates who are lining up now. And um, and you, you know exactly what they're going to campaign on. He, he can't read his own electorate on one of the most substantive things that has happened in our nation's history in, in our constitutional law. Uh, he got you completely wrong. How can you expect him to be able to understand you on other things. Yeah. Look, we're talking about candidates for political office. I mean, the whole country wants to see something happen with Jacinta Price. They want to see Senator go to the lower house somewhere. I look at it and I say, and I know it's complicated because the, 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 the LNP is a bit different in the Northern Territory. It's a bit more national party than it is liberal party. It's, it's a very confusing thing. People want to see her somewhere. Is it going to happen? Are there people working well, on it? Well, I, look, it's the CLP in the Northern Territory. Jacinta, if, look, that's no parliamentarian and she's a rock star. I mean, and also she's a rock star not because she's an Aboriginal lady. She's a rock star because yeah. she conducted herself with such erudite fastidiousness and in such a cogent way that she changed people's views. And when you think of the sort of the caustic, vitriolic barbs that were thrown in her direction, which most other people would have, would have, you know, they would have crumpled and gone down to the fetal position, but day after day she came back and continued on. And I think she was a, a, an, an incredibly substantial reason 
that the referendum went down by the way she conducted herself and how she pursued the argument. Now, um, uh, you know, it's uh, what Jacinta wants to do in her political career, which obviously is going to be supersonic. We 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 can see that from the start. You can you can see people who are going to have supersonic careers the, mo- the moment they get walk through the door. Now she's going to have a great political career, but. Where she goes and how she does it will be determined by her. I'm not going to start giving her homework on what she should do. I'll leave that up to her. Well, a few people saw a few things in you once upon a time and you did all right. You ended up with Deputy Prime Minister. It's not bad from a bloke from the bush. A couple of times. (laughs) Hey, great talking to you. Thanks so much again. And, uh, I mean, thank you for your passion about matters that need to be talked about because I know there's a lot of the... The nuggets in Canberra that roll their eyes when Barnaby starts talking. Well, not here they don't. So good on you. Yeah, at the start I said this was going to go. It was going to go down in a screaming heap. It was going to hit hit the deck in a spectacular way. At that time, they said, "Oh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about." Well, once again, I was right. Yeah, you were right. Good on you. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Welcome, Barnaby Joyce, with us from Canberra. This is ADH, Alan Jones Show, Jason Morrison in the chair. Barnaby Joyce never lets you down. Now, before we go tonight, I want to show you something that's about to come out from Australia Post. It's a special commemorative stamp to mark 100 years of broadcast radio in Australia. Now, I know stamps are a bit old school these days, if some people still use them, I don't know. But they certainly still use the radio, and it's worth celebrating. And while it might be our oldest form of electronic media, radio still holds its own today. And for many, radio is the first voice we hear of a morning and the soundtrack of our lives. And it's given birth to some of Australia's biggest stars, like the bloke that normally sits in this chair, Alan Jones, one of the greatest radio broadcasters of them all. And radio, I guess, made him, and he made radio in many respects, and they miss him deeply. If you look closely at the artwork on the stamp, it mentions 2BL. You see it there? That was 2BL's Music Lover's Hour. And now the news. Gee, they charge $1.20 for stamps? Where have I been? People in Sydney will know 2BL, used to be once upon a time called that. It's now called the very boring name of 702. It was our very, very first radio station in Australia. It was actually called 2SB when it opened up. The first broadcasting station in the Commonwealth. It turns 100 in a few weeks, and I hope they celebrate it with a bit more than a few welcomes to country at the ABC. A bit of trivia for you. 2UE in Sydney was the very first commercial station to open and it turns 99 on Australia Day of next year. Look, radio is everywhere. It's a real miracle. And I think it's, it's a wonder that we can find each other in these days where we do via radio and we do via programs like this. Thanks for joining us. And thank you to Alan Jones, who's letting me fill in and hopefully not bugger things up too much in his absence. Don't forget, you can stay with us tonight and uh, catch up on the podcast at 6am tomorrow. And uh, up next is Professor David Flint, who's talking to Simon Fenwick about woke corporations, The Voice and plenty more. My name's Jason Morrison. Thank you for your company. I'll see you tomorrow.